These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome to Body Ecology Living Podcast. I'm really excited today to bring you a longtime friend. Um, Her name is Dr. Isabella Wentz, and you probably know her already because she's well known as an expert in thyroid, Hashimoto's especially, and she's helped tens of thousands of women uh, turn their life around, basically. So I was really thrilled when I got contacted, uh, her husband, her wonderful husband, Michael, contacted me and said, Isabella has a new book, and the book is on the adrenals, and that made so much sense to me because you have to really work together with the thyroid and the adrenals. So we're going to have a great talk today. I've got a lot of questions prepared to ask Isabella. So thank you for joining us. And um, Isabella, thank you for joining us. Donna, thank you so much for having me. It's just such an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Um, The first interview I ever did when I wrote my first book 10 years ago was on your radio show. Yeah, Hey House. I had a radio show back then. And I met you, we met at an autism conference and you came up to where I was standing and you said, I've got a new book coming out in the thyroid. And I thought, really? Let's, uh, I'm going to help you get it out there to the world because people help me. So it turned out it worked. I mean, you're, you caught immediately, people found you and you started um, doing so many, you know, po- uh, on people's podcasts and being in webinars and things like that. So, of course, things like I said earlier, you're very well known today. And I'd like to, um, I'm not surprised at all that you decided to write a book on the adrenals. And in just a little bit, I'll ask you to tell the story. But let's start off because I want to ask you a really basic question. Um, I certainly know what adrenals are, but there may be plenty of people listening who honestly don't know even where their adrenals are. Because I've told people, you know, talked about them, and you can see this big question mark going off in their mind thinking, where are my adrenals? So what are the adrenals and what do they do? So we have these two tiny little glands that sit on top of our kidneys known as the adrenal glands. And they're responsible for producing a whole bunch of hormones, most notably our stress hormones and probably the most well talked about one and the most relevant one to our discussion today is cortisol. Um, And this is known as our stress hormone. Typically people think you have too much cortisol, that's a bad thing, but that's only a part of the picture. We actually do need cortisol at the right times of day and the right amounts to really thrive and be healthy. And we can have patterns of disrupted cortisol where we have too much cortisol, cortisol released at the wrong times, or even not enough cortisol throughout the day. And any of these patterns that are not aligned with like a healthy uh, circadian pattern of cortisol release can really lead to a whole host of symptoms and in some cases, chronic illness as well. You know, I had my own cortisol experience years ago um, because I had chronic fatigue and was really, really sick when I started on this journey. And I, um, uh, 
you know, they didn't know what chronic fatigue was yet. It was starting, but I definitely knew I had candidiasis and I'd taken antibiotics for years and I was zero energy. I did have a cortisol test and I had none. And of course, doctors want to put you on a drug for that. And when I looked into it, you know, I realized, you know, there's not there's side effects. I'm not going to do that. But it was really a long, long journey for me to find answers to be able to get to where I am today. So I want to tell people that about your book because it's called The Adrenal Transformation Protocol. And this is a book I wish I had, what, 30 years ago, basically, because it's a great book, Isabella. It's written so well and the structure. Like I thought, wow, I love all these different all the information you brought in and the way you structured it is excellent. So congratulations for putting out a good book that people really need. So, okay, so that's the adrenals and we're they're really important. They produce our energy. And I was doing some research a little while ago and I thought, well, what about the mitochondria, the little energy factories that are in all of our cells? And, you know, we know the brain has a lot, heart has a lot, muscles have a lot. And I thought, wonder about the adrenals. Where do they fit into the picture? And it turns out that, of course, they have um, mitochondria in the adrenals, but they are very important. And did you and you do bring a mitochondria up in your book? So could you just tell people what mitochondria um, is? What is a mitochondria? And just some of the things that you know about mitochondria. Sure. Yeah. And it's no coincidence that um, the book is called Adrenal Transformation Protocol. The acronym for that is ATP. Oh, it's so cool. ATP, which is what the mitochondria produce is ATP. Which which is our energy molecules, right? And so our mitochondria are live inside of our cells and they're very, I think of them as these little enigmatic creatures that get really dialed into our environment and they they can malfunction for a variety of reasons. Um, some of these include toxic exposure. Some of these might include um, not having enough nutrients on board. Some of our overwhelmed stress systems can lead to mitochondrial dysfunction. And some of the most, I guess, critical things that can occur when people have um, poor mitochondrial function is they can have that chronic fatigue. Um, in my experience, I've seen the majority of people within that adrenal dysfunction state. They also have some degree of mitochondrial dysfunction. And the, the things that I've kind of some of the breakthroughs that I've had in the last few years is that sometimes mitochondrial support, when you combine that with some of the more traditional adrenal strategies, you can get a really beautiful synergistic effect in healing versus if you just utilize mitochondrial support on its own or just some of the adrenal strategies on their own. And so this has been, you know, a really big breakthrough of mine in the last few years, probably in the last five, 10 years of, of studying the mitochondria and how, how they work with energy production. They're responsible for producing our pregnenolone within our adrenal glands, which is the mother hormone that gets turned into cortisol and all of these other important hormones that the adrenals make. Yeah, well, uh, maybe, I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people are hearing more and more about mitochondria today, but they're not tying it in with, and they know it produces energy, but they're not tying it in with the adrenals. I just wanted to kind of bring that out. Um, and of course, in the book, you give people 
uh, the answer on what they, what to do to support your mitochondria and make them function better. So your adrenals are going to work better. Um, so your story, uh, I loved it because I really identified. I think there are millions of women, especially right now, my youngest son and his wife are 31. So all their friends are having babies right now and they're having awful time in the beginning. The first month or two, they don't realize how difficult that first couple of months are. And so I really felt that this book was great for people that are going to have a baby <laughs> with pregnant women, women that are starting to, you know, soon deliver a baby or prepare for one. Um, let's, could we, let's just talk a little bit of, you know, say a few things for those women and your own personal story of what happened when you had your baby. Sure. So I first, I guess over a decade ago, I had Hashimoto's and I had a lot of symptoms and I figured out how to take charge of my health and get myself in remission from Hashimoto's. One of one of the big connecting pieces in people with thyroid issues is that they have some degree of adrenal dysfunction. And surely I was no exception to that. And I found that my fatigue and brain fog, anxiety on refreshing sleep, these things didn't go away even with my nutritional changes, but they got so much better when I focused on my adrenals. Um, when I had my beautiful son, he just turned five last month. Can you believe it? I, um, I knew that babies like didn't sleep, but it just, I don't know. It just didn't dawn on me that they could not sleep for a very long time. And I thought I read some books and they said that every child was capable of sleeping through the night by like three months old. Well, th that isn't exactly the, the full truth of the matter, right? Some babies have, um, smaller tummies or digestive issues or various other things. You know, there's a whole, whole body of research about babies and sleep where it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, the unfortunate thing about, um, you know, sleep <laughs> deprivation is that it's one of the fastest ways to get into adrenal dysfunction. And so when, um, my son was around eight months old and we had been going on you know, eight months old of me not sleeping because, um, because of nighttime caregiving, which, which, you know, I was happy to do. And I wanted to do at the same time, it just really started draining my energy. And I felt like, oh man, some of these symptoms that I used to have are just creeping back up. Like when I was so fatigued, um, in my twenties. And so I tested my adrenals and I was like, oh wow, they are flatlined. I have this low level you know, of cortisol production throughout the day. But then I was like, oh crap, like I can't use any of my old protocols, right? So I'm like, like there's like- People protocols. normally would drink caffeine to get more energy, but you can't really do that with a baby, when you're nursing a baby. Well, or they use hormones, right? So people would use hormones to like the protocols that I've been trained in are using like pregnenolone and DHEA or hydrocortisone throughout the day or getting lots of sleep. And there's all of these like modalities that can work well for the people that they work for. And then they're not necessarily attainable to people like new parents, right? Or people that may not be able to tolerate some of the hormones, which, you know, women with a family history of breast cancer, women with estrogen dominance, people who are just sensitive to different supplements. So, you know, I, I was in that like weird place where I'm like, okay, if this was one of my clients with, you know, without like a brand newborn, this is what I would do. And then I was like, but I don't know what else I can do. And so I really had to go into just, I guess, research mode again. 
and figure out like what are other ways that I could give my body energy. Like obviously I can't sleep for 12 hours a night for the next 30 days, which is a fantastic way to get out of adrenal dysfunction is just like take a sleep vacation. You know, I couldn't go to the Maldives for three months and leave everything behind me, which, which, you know, some celebrities do for burnout. Um, And then the hire a full-time nanny. Most people can't afford to do that. So that Um, you can sleep and she can take care of you too. And actually, you know, in countries, I've always admired this. In countries like Japan, the mother and the mother-in-law come in for the first month and they completely take care of the mother. They won't let her get out and do anything. Basically, the neighbors all bring food. And, and, you know, if she did get up and start trying to do something, she would be frowned upon because the culture really has a high priority to pregnant women new mothers and so too. But our American culture, our Western culture is unfortunately not like that. So our mothers are also, and of course, you know, I belong to an older generation. So I remember when times were much slower, but I also remember with the baby boomers, we were the the generation where we decided we needed to get a high, you know, higher education and we need to go out and work and raise our families. I think we kind of spoiled our daughters because when they came along generation later, they only saw busy, busy women. And they and we've no longer honored that uh, real need to be still and take care of your baby and focus on your health. So you're really talking about something that millions of women are have gone through or are going through. You know, Donna, it's such a good point. Um, and, and I feel like, yes, that's such a part of our society. And I, you know, I read books to prepare and it was all about like the um, you know, the first three months after you had a baby and I had my mom there with me, I had a doula, we kind of had everything figured out for the first three months, but you know, the, like all the books said that children could sleep by three months. And I actually, the first three months I had that beautiful support of my mother and a postpartum doula. And, you know, my family came around and friends. So I felt pretty good those first three months, but it was like kind of after everybody left. Right. So we had only the doula for three months. And then we, um, my mom went back to Chicago um, and we kind of started getting back into work and all of that. And I didn't have a nanny yet. For some reason, I thought, you know, like babies sleep so much and I want to spend, I can just work in the evenings a little bit and spend time with my baby. And that kind of took me by surprise where I feel like they talk about the postpartum period being three months where I feel like it's like, three months to seven years, like depending on what it actually is for a woman to get back into herself. And some children, you know, it might take a few years for them to sleep. It might take a woman four years to restore the vitamins and nutrients and get herself back into balance from having a little person, right? And so I know nature really doesn't want us to have our children too close together, at least two years apart. Uh, because we do need to replenish, we nourish our body because the baby takes so much. Nature actually prefers the baby and will give the nutrients, magnesium, whatever, to the baby for the mother. So we really do need to take that time. I, um, I have a new grandson. Well, he's nine months old now, and he's still not sleeping. And because of that, I started um, asking around and other people were they would have a baby the same age. And I heard over and over again, they're not sleeping. So it's becoming more common. Um, my babies were sleeping by three months. And one of them, within a couple of weeks, as he was born at 10, he was 10 pounds. And so he slept right away. 
Uh, so something's going on, and I kind of am very curious to know, you know, are they low in serotonin? Like, what's going on? Somebody needs to investigate this. But nevertheless, you know, you, you the mom, uh, create adrenal fatigue if you didn't have that before. So your book is full of great information. Um, so I just made a whole bunch of notes as I was reading it. And I, uh, you know, what you said about diet, of course, you know, I know what to do about diet, but I really did have um, uh, severe adrenal fatigue myself. And I would go into periods where I feel energetic and then, it, you know, no energy at all. And just recently, after a long time, I'm avoiding it. I actually got COVID. And then uh, I had a real mild, no, no big deal. But a month or so, I started having all these problems. Like my, I broke it and I got a bacterial infection in my lungs, I, um, <clears throat> which I think was reawakening a bacteria that was there. And then shingles and then terrible pain in my lower back. And so I really dug in to see what was going on. But I've been researching long haulers for two years. And I know that, you know, the COVID virus spike protein is still in many cells, including the adrenals and the, and it's lots of research on that and, and the heart and the brain and the gut. But um, it awakens all these viruses that we have in our body, including in my case, down at the lower part of my spine, that's a, you know, a major, and it's a big uh, bundle of nerves where, and that's what viruses love to live in. They go into these viral sanctuaries in uh, nerve tissue and COVID wakes the spike protein wakes them all up. So I had everything wrong with me. A lot of people are having um, a re- a pro- uh, the H. pylori bacteria wakes up mm-hmm. and or becomes commun- uh, from a commensal bacteria into a pathogenic one. So I th- we now have many, many people who are long haulers and this book is for them too. I, I hope you're having a chance to address long haulers. They, they need this energy. Uh, book on energy because it's their biggest problem. They don't have any. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, I was working, I've been working with people for the last decade and I would say people with autoimmunity, people with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, Hashimoto's, these would be the people with that adrenal dysfunction piece that I often would see. Now I'm like, you're kind of a unicorn if you don't have adrenal dysfunction, whether that's been from, you know, from giving, having COVID exposure. So a big kind of um, trigger that can overwhelm our system, right? Or even from the stress of living through a pandemic, right? For some people that stress enough can be overwhelming to our system. And really people can get into that adrenal dysfunction state through things like sleep deprivation, through their lifestyle, if they're not eating enough and they're over exercising through nutrient deficiencies from having too much inflammation in their body, which, which is, you know, toxic exposures, chronic infections, H. pylori, you know, when we have an H. pylori infection that wakes up because of a COVID exposure or, you know, from stress that could also cause it to awaken and become stronger, that's going to produce, um, inflammation in the body. That's going to, that's actually a mitochondrial toxin as well. And so for some people, you know, it's a gut infection. For other people, it's a viral infection or something can overwhelm that system. And we end up in getting into this like altered stress response pattern 
where we kind of get stuck and we have the fatigue, we have the brain fog, we may get disaligned with the circadian rhythm where we're kind of tired throughout the day, but we're wired at night. We might have pain throughout our bodies, anxiety, sleep issues. Um, and all of this is, you know, whether you need to do deeper protocols for H. pylori, or maybe you need to work on your um, stress management, or you need to work on your sleep and your lifestyle, all of these things, you always do need to work on that adrenal piece to get the other things back in balance. Because if you don't address that stress response, and you, if you're constantly stuck in that stress response, your body's going to be having a harder time to heal from whatever you're going through. So when this all happened to me, you know, I do my thing, like trying to find answers on my own. I thought it must be my thyroid. <clears throat> my thyroid just crashed for some reason because I wasn't tying it into the COVID infection a month earlier. But I went and got a blood test. My thyroid was low. And then I also happened at the same time, uh, ordered this test from Body Bio. And it's a little, it's little bottles of minerals and if you do this test, it tells you which minerals you're deficient in. So I was deficient in selenium, zinc, and um, iodine. Well, those are all three absolutely essential minerals for the thyroid. So I didn't take thyroid medication. I took uh, selenium, zinc, and iodine. And like two days later, I had that, that was my energy popped up. But I, my question, I guess, is can you have adrenal problem and and not have a thyroid problem? Because, you know, usually you'd think they dance together. If one's low, the other one would be low. What's your take on that? I've worked with a lot of people with thyroid issues, and I will say most of them have some degree of adrenal dysfunction. Um, you do not need to have a thyroid issue, though, to have adrenal dysfunction. So there are people with adrenal dysfunction whose thyroids may be perfectly healthy and producing just the right amounts of thyroid hormone. That said, for some of the people that I've worked with, they are purely what I would call like an adrenal case where they have this adrenal dysfunction that interferes with their bodies to utilize their active thyroid hormones. So when we're in a state of adrenal dysfunction, our body might produce more of something known as reverse T3, which is an inactive thyroid hormone that gets into our thyroid receptors throughout the body and you know it blocks them rather than activating them. And so I've seen a lot of people who will say, I have every symptom in the book of thyroid issues. I have cold intolerance. I have um, fatigue and brain fog and I'm losing my hair. I have pain in my body. You know, I'm gaining weight, so on and so forth. And, you know, they'll say, but they'll come to me and they'll be like, but my doctor said, there's nothing, you know, I don't have a thyroid issue. And I'll be like, okay, well, let's look at all of your thyroid labs. Did you do all the right ones? And I'm like, okay, yeah, you did all the right labs. And, um, you know, we'll look at maybe like the reverse T3 that might be altered. And then we'll look at adrenal pattern and that will be altered. And then just getting them back and supporting their adrenals. A lot of times their quote unquote thyroid symptoms improve. Um, like you said, there's a big intricate feedback loop within the body between all of our hormones and our Thyroid and adrenal hormones are no exception. And so when one is low, the other one might compensate for that. And there's a, there's a back and forth that occurs. And so it is um, for some people that, you know, you might need to support your adrenals to get rid of your thyroid symptoms. And actually for most people in my experience that I've come to, but, but I don't work with people that are very healthy that 
and that feel amazing that have thyroid condition. I typically work with no, people that they are don't not- come to people like us at all. Yeah. And they don't, exactly. no, nobody really gets serious about their health and changes their diet and so on until they don't feel good, which is too bad, but that they wait till then. Well, you know, at this point, everybody's probably wondering, okay, I, I know I have adrenal dysfunction. So, oh, another thing too, if you don't mind addressing it, is the good old term for decades, people referred to themselves as having adrenal fatigue. And now we're not using that term anymore. So if you don't mind explaining that, but then also let's go into what to do about this issue where you don't have energy. Like what are the most important things to do? Because everybody's probably waiting with bated breath to get some answers. I know people, it's a very controversial term, adrenal fatigue. And going back to the history of it, about 25 years ago, a naturopathic doctor named James Wilson wrote a book called, um, I believe it was called Adrenal Fatigue. He was one of my teachers at A4M when I was getting my advanced fellowship, and he's brilliant. He is so brilliant. Um, Go on. I was going to say, I completely bought into it. I totally believed in adrenal fatigue. I fit the pattern. But but it's really the terminology that's wrong, right? Absolutely. And so he initially had identified this cluster of symptoms that people had. And his theory was that it was based in the adrenal glands underperforming and not producing enough of the hormone. Perhaps there was something wrong with them. Um, Kind of, kind of like a mild version of Addison's, which is, which is the conventional medical condition where 90% of the adrenal glands are destroyed and they're like physically unable to produce enough stress hormones, including cortisol. So he kind of likened it to that. And he kind of thought that was maybe the, the mechanism of action of what was going on. And new research has shown that that's not necessarily accurate for most people in this state, but what is accurate is something that's called hypothalamic adrenal, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction, which is that, you know, our adrenal glands might be perfectly healthy and they're not like an early stage of Addison's situation or anything like that, but rather there's a disconnect between the brain and the adrenal glands and somewhere on that pathway of when the brain's supposed to tell the adrenal glands to make stress hormones, something gets broken down. So it's essentially a communication breakdown between um, the adrenal glands and the brain and the hormones that they produce. And then, and that's an adaptation due to chronic stress. So, okay, so pituitary, thyroid, mm-hmm. adrenals, uh, even we're getting, we have to bring probably the ovaries and the gonads in there too, but what would cause that breakdown in that important channel pathway? Too much, too much stress or too much stress being perceived So when our body is used to, you know, we have this beautiful pathway when we're exposed to acute stress where our body's like, oh, we're being chased by a tiger. Let's release lots of cortisol so we can get away really fast. And you hear about people having superhuman strength, lifting up cars when they've fallen on children, um, so on and so forth to really power them through a stressful time period. It's a beautiful, you know, design that we have. And Ideally, that chronic, that acute stressor goes away. We have the time to like shake it off and sleep it off. And then our body's cortisol production goes back to normal. So we typically are supposed to have high, a little cortisol bump in the morning so that we have good energy. And then the cortisol lowers throughout the day so we can rest and sleep. In a stress situation, in that acute stress situation, 
we're like on high alert. So it's like you just drank six um, espressos and you're just going at all calibers to get through a stressful time. Now, so when a person is exposed to chronic stress, it's like you can't be on that overperforming high caliber for all of eternity, right? And so the body starts to make adaptations. Hormones, we have these beautiful pathways where if a body is, you know, hormone receptors can get saturated and they can become desensitized. And so if the brain is constantly sensing stress, right? And it's constantly sending those messages, more cortisol, more cortisol, eventually the the patterns can kind of realign and be like, do you really mean cortisol or do you mean more cortisol? Like every single day you've said more cortisol because we're, you know, we can't be in that high alert state all the time. And so this sort of gets out of alignment as time goes on. For some people, this might be months after being in that high alert, high stress state. For some people, it could be a decade before they move through the phases of, you know, too much cortisol. And then the body starts to put you on a bit of a roller coaster as it's like, maybe we don't need cortisol in the morning. Um, And then we'll have some blood sugar swings. And as time goes on that we're on this stress roller coaster, we end up with not having enough cortisol produced throughout the day. And and really the, the current research supports that it's an adaptive process in the body. Well, you know, we live in a world where stress is so pervasive that we don't even know. Like I went, I bought an echo show for my kitchen because I wanted to do things like tell Alyssa to put something on my shopping list or do something when I wanted to do something. Instead, it's constantly putting all this negative stuff in the news up there and about the economy and all. And so finally, I turned up the sound way down and covered it with a dish towel. But you can't really escape it. Unless, I mean, you can, but you really have to make a true effort to do that. But so stress is definitely a major cause. And and then you have to address that, which I hope by now people understand, uh, have ideas for addressing stress. Is there, is there any one tool in particular that you would suggest people massage or yoga or music? Or what, what do you think are some of the best things to do to eliminate stress or reduce it or manage it? Um, I have about 14 different safety signals in my book that I go over and some, you know, everybody kind of resonates with different healing modalities and I go through a variety of different ones. So some of the most approachable things are blood sugar balance. That seems to help most people feel better when they add more protein and more um, fat into their diet. So some of that cortisol roller coaster starts to improve once we get um, our blood sugar more in check. And so that can be a big game changer for anxiety and for, um, you know, energy levels throughout the day for waking up throughout the night. That's very, very approachable. And then another modality that I find can be very helpful is Epsom salt baths. So taking that time just for 15 minutes, anyway, up, up to one hour, you can sit in a warm bath with a one to two cups of Epsom salts, or maybe do a foot soak with Epsom salts if you don't want to sit in a bath. And this will just get some magnesium into your body topically. That can help you really restore your levels of calm, reduce the pain in your body, and help to prepare you for a more restful sleep. I haven't seen research to support this, but I have had some data from Aura Rings where people who previously didn't get as much of that deep restorative sleep that is crucial for repairing our bodies in the night. When they start incorporating Epsom salts into their routine, their deep sleep can go like 
can go two, two, three, or sometimes four times higher, anywhere from like 40 minutes to four hours, just through utilizing that magnesium topically like that. Well, you know, in body ecology, one of the, we have our seven principles. One of the things I try to teach people is there's four step-by-step. You have to do things in a step-by-step order. You have to start somewhere. And what do you focus on? Well, you have to create energy, uh, conquer the inflammation, the infections. You have to correct, um, cleanse out toxins. and You've got to correct digestion. But that first one, most important one, is create energy. And the other three things, well, when you correct your digestion, when you get uh, conquer the infections and so on, you will have more energy. So I am have for years really focused on that. When I talk to people about their health, the first thing I'm sort of looking for is, are they sleeping? And where are their energy drains? Because they are not going to get well with the best of advice and diet and everything if they don't create energy, which is another reason why I think this book is I mean, I really seriously mean that I say to other authors who have been on the podcast, I think they're great books. I wouldn't say that, but this isn't a basically essential book for people to purchase. And another thing you just mentioned, safety signals. I had never really heard those terms before, but I love that terminology. So um, really, you're you're just a great writer. Like things that you say throughout the book, um, little pieces of information, little gems that I thought, oh, I didn't know that before. Um, you know, it is, it's just more than about adrenal uh, fatigue and adrenal transformation. So um, I also love the sub- subtitle, a four-week plan to release stress symptoms and go from surviving to thriving. And four weeks, that that's very hopeful. So do you, and so what kind of results have you been having with people? And Donna, thank you so much for all of the kind words. It means so much coming from you. Um, I don't think you mentioned it, but when when we first met, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I told you that you changed my life and how much I love your work and yeah, your book. You. Um, it's still on my shelf today, and it's still something that I will revisit like every other month. And I'll be like, this is something brand new to me. Donna was talking about this, you know, so many years ago. Um, and so thank you thank for... You for the incredible work that you've done and being such a brilliant pioneer for healing and taking charge of our own health um, and just always inspiring myself and everybody else. Um, the My goal for people throughout the book and the program is to be able to connect with their bodies and understand how their bodies work and understand what signals their bodies are communicating to them, usually through symptoms and what to do about it. And so we go through a very um, comprehensive questionnaire where people will talk about what they're feeling and to identify their symptoms. The, the Adrenal Transformation book is based on a program that I designed in 2019 and released in 2020. It's been over 3,500 people have taken the program. And I used to work in outcomes research in my past job. So I'm very like, into tracking statistics and looking at how can I improve the program. It's been launched seven different times um, by the time the book came out. And so I'll ask people like, what has been the most game changing for you throughout the program? And what were your symptoms when you started the program and what improved, what didn't improve? The incredible thing that I'm just so excited to share is 92% of people will have less brain fog in that four week period. And we'll have like 89% of people will have less fatigue. We'll have 89% less fatigue. Wow, throughout that 
four-week period. And then we'll have um, the other things that improve are things like pain and libido and sleep issues. And my typical aim and, and you know, the mood swings and anxiety, those stabilize as well, about 80% or so. My typical aim for a program is like to get at least 80% of people to have these results. So I've tweaked it and changed it a few different times, but you know, some of the most game-changing things for brain fog would be carnitine. This is a mitochondrial nutrient that can really change how you, um, how you process various toxins, including ammonia. So really clear up your brain and allow you to, to have more energy and think more clearly. So I feel like this is one of the reasons we have such good results with with brain fog. Um, and then electrolytes are one of the keys to restoring energy levels and having bright light exposure. So um, making sure you're spending time in nature. That is a huge, huge healing modality that I feel like it's free and so underappreciated in our modern times. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I noticed in the book that I was curious about this, but you had certain supplements you were recommending for sleep. And one was ornithine. Now I know ornithine is an amino acid that's really good for building muscles. And I'll take a couple of those when I'm drinking our protein, probiotic protein shake, because I am trying to build muscles, especially after going through a couple of months of that COVID stuff. And I, I really was extremely, I, I was shocked. I got, I could get that sick and, and I lost all my muscle tone. So I'm now, you know, building back up again. So I'm drinking our shake, but I'm taking the ornithine, but ornithine for sleep. That was a surprise. And what are the other things you recommended for sleep? So it depends on the person. I will say that about 80% of people will get better with like that routine of sunshine first thing in the morning, making sure you restrict caffeine before 3 p.m., darkness after sunset, or using blue light blockers, an Epsom salt bath, perhaps a magnesium supplement, um, utilizing myo-inositol to help with balancing blood sugar at night. Generally, um, and sleeping in a cold, dark room, Generally, about majority of people will see improvements just by doing some of those key things throughout their day. But I also have some like advanced strategies, depending on what your situation might be, that are in the back of the book. So if you are somebody that has frequent night waking, then ornithine might be something that can help. Frequent night waking are a sign of that ammonia toxicity. So other things. Can Wait, be like what kind of toxicity? Could you say that again? Ammonia toxicity. So this is produced when we don't digest proteins very well and people with the mm -hmm. CBS gene mutation and people who have H. pylori infections. Um, and there's other types of gut microbes that can overproduce ammonia, which is a mitochondrial toxin. And ornithine is actually one of the things that can clear, up, clear it out the most effectively. Um, sarcomycin to clear out the ammonia? Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm very interested in this topic too, and I've studied it a lot for the reasons you said, like poor protein digestion, but also, um, believe it or not, um, kyolic garlic is very effective also against. So, so you're saying ornithine is, but uh, I, I know um, you know there's a supplement that a lot of people are using for gut health for SIBO and so on. SIBO, um, Allison, that's mm -hmm. really good at lowering. Uh, and, and people, not many people know much about ammonia, but it is really a serious problem too. I mean, I think people are, are overwhelmed with ammonia 
producing too much ammonia. But I didn't know it was connected to sleep. So that's really interesting. See what I mean? I mean, that's the nice thing about working with other practitioners and other people that are out there teaching like we are. You never stop learning. And that's the fun part of this. Hopefully people are listening feel the same way. Well, so... I'm very happy that in the book you talk about diet, of course. You could not talk about diet, but you mentioned fermented cabbage. You mentioned um, coconut kefir and coconut yogurt, which I actually invented years ago and brought into the into our culture, into our food culture. But um, so thank you for doing that. I was very happy to see that. But um, do you yeah. think that we should, um, you know, here's the thing about protein. Like I... I'm a blood type A and I actually, the body culture diet really is very, very low carb because we're trying to get rid of the infections. Mm -hmm. I would say this is really true for long haulers, really true for viral infections. You can't have carbs. And I have a new protocol I'm about to put out that's an antiviral protocol to take that even further. And for a while, for four to 10 days, you really have to avoid protein and carbs. But I found out by being on a, without any carbs in my diet, for after a while, um, I couldn't sleep anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I know since then more understanding of how important carbs are for the thyroid. So can you just talk to us about protein, carbs, and fats? Sure. So generally, most people eating a Western diet, maybe not people in our audience, tend to eat too many carbs. Um, and that can put us on that blood sugar roller coaster, right? And there's, um, you know, we could, we could talk for, for a lot of time talking about the issues that people might have with carbs. What I think is more critical that people may not know as much rather than restricting carbs is we want to make sure that we're getting enough protein and there's other, there's all kinds of guidelines out there, you know, one gram per pound, one gram per kilogram, and I tend to think that people in chronic illness and that adrenal dysfunction state and that are on, you know, have joint pain and fatigue, they're been in a more catabolic process, which means their body has been breaking itself down. So they actually need more protein, even though they might be like sedentary, right? Maybe they're not like extreme athletes, but they probably need more protein to that what like an athlete would get to really fuel and fix their bodies. When we're in that adrenal dysfunction state, our body's breaking itself down for fuel, breaking down amino acids to fuel that stress response to get through a chronic illness, whatever, or acute illness. You know, that's, that's what happens. The body kind of breaks itself down to help with survival. And so we actually need more protein. And I would, I would venture to say, unless you have kidney disease, Probably, you know, you, you probably need more protein, like a, maybe even like an athlete to really help with your body building itself back up and fixing itself. And then, well, you know, um, I was going to say too, the protein does come in, you know, it doesn't have to be animal protein. Like I uh, was really happy and surprised actually to see that as we got older, so I'm 76 and a half. Um, so definitely need more protein. But then as we get older, we don't digest protein. We, we don't have the digestive enzymes to digest it. So I think that that's why I, I try to have a protein shake every day to get extra protein in my diet. And then I always have at least one really nice quality protein meal. And then often eggs in the morning or a shake, uh, a smoothie rather too, like a smoothie as well. So I'm getting protein, but it's not all animal protein. So just so people can know that there's, it doesn't have to all be like a steak, 
you know, for lunch and fish for dinner or something too, but they do need protein. And especially as you get older, uh, because you lose your muscle, then you lose your bones. And uh, I don't think pe- that message has gotten out there to people uh, either. And, and, and as far as getting over adrenal fatigue, um, it, the protein has been absolutely essential for me. And even to have it early in the day too has made a big difference. I know you mentioned that in the book too. I've I've noticed, yeah, people who have adrenal dysfunction, you know, they might hear things like intermittent fasting is good for you or the keto diet is good for you, but they may not be able to thrive with fasting. So they're the people that like will skip breakfast and then they're like, but I'm now I can't sleep at night if I do that. Or they try to do keto and they can't sleep at night because of it. And so you know, I think these protocols may be good for people with more of a healthier, stable adrenal pattern. But when, when my observations, people in that adrenal dysfunction state, they tend to be low in carnitine, which means they can't really use fatty acids for fuel, um, as well as somebody that um, has adequate amounts of carnitine. And so, and they're going to be people that can't mount like a healthy stress response to things like fasting. And so a lot of times they'll say, we're going to get your calories in and we need to send your body a message that it's safe. We got to do this with protein and fat throughout the day to allow your body to know, hey, this is my time to feed and eat when it's daylight. And then when it's nighttime, this is my time to rest and sleep. Because I I have noticed that as well, um, where sometimes some of the keto and intermittent fasting trends that can be really great for some people in, in the cases with adrenal dysfunction, they might just not be the right kind of medicine at the right time. Right. I agree. And so for me, having some sprouted rice uh, cooked properly, you don't have to soak it or sprout or buy it sprouted. (coughs) Excuse me, but that's one thing we can get today is sprouted brown rice, for example. So um, I'll at nighttime make myself, some kind of delicious veg, you know, dish to go over some rice. And it just makes a huge difference in how I sleep. But I don't have a large amount of carbs in my diet. And I can digest them. You know, I don't have a problem anymore. Uh, I don't have a yeast infection that I'm dealing with anymore either. Well, I know also, everybody listening, that um, this book is amazing. And, and Isabella goes into so many more bits of information. We haven't even talked about supplements yet. So you want to know that, but I highly recommend that you get the book. And Isabel, I want to thank you. I know I've kept you on here for a long time, but thank you so much for writing the book, for doing what you do. I, I know that from knowing you for so long that your your heart and Michael's too is really in helping people. So I just honor you for that. So thank you. Thank you so much, Donna. Um You're just such a delight. And thank you for all of your work that you're doing in the world. Really appreciate you. We have a mutual admiration. (laughs) So thank you. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. 
If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening, and here's to a happier, healthier world.